So that's 1 Corinthians chapter 2, um, 6 to 16. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages of, for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But, as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit, of, the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spirits, spiritual truth to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but in himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. Morning all. Great to be back here. And uh, much love to you from uh, your big sister, Madevel. Um, let me just pray for us. Father, we thank you for your love, and we thank you for your word, and we pray that you would teach us this morning, that you would speak to us, that you would help us, that you would feed us, that you would open our hearts and minds up to amazing things. Thank you for this opportunity you've given to us. Amen. Albert Einstein. He was uh, a pretty clever chap. Uh, by the time he was 12 years old, he had come up with his own proof for Pythagoras' theorem. And some of us might not even know what Pythagoras' theorem is. It's been such a long time. Uh, in fact, there are uh, about 370 proofs for Pythagoras' theorem. So it's probably the most sort of uh, mined out uh, area of uh, mathematics. So, uh, yeah, he found, what, he found one of them. I mean, but before we uh, cast shade on this 12-year-old, um, <laughs> we also need to remember that he gave us possibly the world's greatest equation. Yes, E equals MC squared. What an amazing equation. What does it mean? I don't know, but it's an amazing equation. Einstein was no slouch. He was able to discover new laws relating to time, space, light, gravity, matter, energy. Uh, there's not much left to do after you've done all that. Uh, he was the first to recognize the photoelectric effect, where he was able to show that light behaves both as a wave and a particle. And in fact, the very concept of the photon originates with Einstein. And he won the Nobel uh, Prize in Physics for this incredible discovery. He also made incredible contributions in the area of quantum mechanics, 
another area of expertise. I don't have anything to offer you. Uh, he developed laws relating to general and special relativity. And just last year, the Scientific American reports that uh, the microscope mission tested the weak equivalence principle using free-falling objects in a satellite. And uh, what did they discover? They discovered that Einstein's gen general theory of relativity is correct even today to a remarkable degree of accuracy despite having been around for more than a century. I mean, I could have told them that. I don't know why they bothered to send a satellite up for that test. Uh, in 1952, Einstein, such a great figure, he was approached to uh, take the post of the President of Israel. He was offered this position, which he declined. <laughs> I don't know if any of us would ever have an offer like that. Phone rings. Hello? Would you like to be the President of Israel? No, it hasn't, hasn't happened to um, So, for good reason, Einstein is this icon of genius. And in fact, just this morning, I just thought I'd test this. I typed in scientist. I did a Google search for scientist. I went to images. Well, guess the first image that comes up, Einstein. And all the guys after him are just basically dudes trying to look like Einstein with badly combed hair and slightly balding, you know. But he's, he's, he's like, when you think scientist, after Fauci, you've got Einstein. That's the sort of face that comes to mind shows how brilliant he was, this intellectual colossus. An incredibly gifted man. But did Einstein know Jesus Christ? Well, about five years ago, a one-and-a-half-page <coughs> handwritten letter by Einstein was sold at auction for three million U.S. dollars. And here's a quote from that letter. The word of God is for me nothing more than the expression and product of human weaknesses. The Bible, a collection of honorable but still primitive legends which are nevertheless pretty childish. No interpretation, no matter how subtle, can change this for me. For me, the Jewish religion, like all other religions, is an incarnation of the most childish superstitions. End quote. In other words, the things of the Spirit of God were folly to Einstein. For all his intellect, he was not able to understand them. Yet right here in this church, we have children who are spiritually capable of understanding and knowing these things. How do we respond to this paradox? The great mind of Einstein can understand the intricacies and complexities of space and time, but he cannot understand the Bible. He couldn't lead a Bible study in this church. What would Jesus say to this? Well, he would say the same thing he uh, said in Matthew 11, verse 25, where we read, At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. As it turns out, we serve a God who doesn't need our intellect, doesn't need our brilliance. He can be glorified any way he chooses. He doesn't need great minds to discover him as they might discover the laws of his universe. He can reveal himself to whoever he pleases. 
He's not limited by our foolishness or stupidity. Uh, He doesn't hanker after attention like an insecure teenager trying to impress girls. If he wants glorious creatures to worship and praise him, he can create them out of nothing to do exactly that. And in fact, right now, he has myriads and myriads of angels around his throne praising him, covering their faces before his brilliance and his glory and his holiness. No, our God has chosen of all places to be glorified from the things that this world finds foolish, weak, and stupid. Because if he can show his glory through a cross of all things, what will we say about the wisdom and power of man? It is nothing. God has done the unthinkable. What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, Christ crucified for sinners, unseen, unheard, unimaginable, prepared for us, revealed to us. If you know these things this morning, if you're here because when you read the Bible, it makes sense, because you know that God has visited this earth and you know that he has died on a cross for man's sin. If you know these things, You are blessed, incredibly blessed. Most people do not know these things. Most people cannot understand the Bible. So why us? Because we're intelligent? Because we're worthy? Because we're better than the rest of the world? No, because we were not. Again, from this letter that Paul writes, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, what does he say to this church? He says, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised. In the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. This is our God. He chooses the foolish. He chooses us, so that no human being might boast, except in the cross of Jesus Christ. In Corinth, there was uh, a church that was in a lot of trouble. They had forgotten their calling. They had got big for their boots. They were proud. They were infatuated with the world's wisdom. They were a licentious people living in a licentious culture. A spiritually gifted yet profoundly unspiritual church. A people who needed to be reminded of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what does Paul point them to in our passage this morning? What must this church know? Well, they must understand the grace of knowing God which means we must understand the grace of knowing God. Why is it for us to know God? When in verse 8 we're told that none of the rulers of this age understood this. Why is it for us to know God when the richest men and women do not know him? Warren Buffett does not know God. Elon Musk does not know God. Bill Gates does not know God. Jeff Bezos, Mark Zuckerberg, 
Larry Page, Carlos Slim, Alice Walton, Michael Bloomberg. None of these people know Jesus Christ. Why is it for us to know God when the most powerful people do not know him? Joe Biden, Donald Trump, Klaus Schwab, Xi Jinping, Anthony Albanese, Rishi Sunak. These are all powerful, influential men. None of them know God. Why is it for us to know God when the most beautiful and talented people do not know him? Frank Sinatra did not know Jesus Christ. Michael Jackson, Elvis Presley, Marilyn Monroe, Beyonce, Leonardo DiCaprio, Tom Cruise, Will Smith, Miley Cyrus, Tom Hanks. Pick your poison. <laughs> None of these men and women know Jesus Christ. I heard that Taylor Swift will be coming to Sydney and Melbourne next year. There's, a bit, there's been a big uh, brouhaha online over Taylor Swift coming to uh, Australia. VIP packages were selling for $1,250 each. That's really nice. You get a seat in the building. You get a tote bag. I don't know what a tote bag is, but you get one of them. You get some stickers and four photographs of uh, Taylor Swift. I mean, it's a deal, huh? <laughs> well, apparently, four million other people thought so. Four million people tried to get these tickets. Ticket sales opened on the 26th of June. They were sold out within hours. Gone. Sorry, Levi. Next time, eh? <laughs> it's rough. It's rough. Spare thoughts, eh, for those unhappy people. Uh, here's one sad story from someone who tried to book online. And uh, ready for the tearjerker? It was just the loading page for 16 hours. I was losing my mind, she said. I cried myself to sleep. Allow me to state the obvious. Taylor Swift is famous. But she doesn't know Jesus Christ. We might not be able to get into a Taylor Swift concert. But we have tickets to heaven. So I ask you, why have we been given the grace to know Jesus Christ? Why is it for us to know when, God, when this, this world's most celebrated philosophers and thinkers do not know him? Immanuel Kant, David Hume, Friedrich Nietzsche, Baruch Spinoza, Voltaire, Thomas Hobbes, Ayn Rand, Ludwig Wittgenstein, Carl Jung, Jean-Paul Sartre, Martin Heidegger, Bertrand Russell, Aristotle, Plato, Confucius, Marx, Darwin, Muhammad, Buddha, the list goes on. And I know some of you are perhaps asking yourselves, who's Ludwig Wittgenstein? <laughs> but these are people held up to us by the world as the world's great intellectuals. And none of them know Jesus Christ. None of them understood the cross. All of them thought that the gospel was folly. Why is it for us to know God? How did we acquire this knowledge? Have a look with me at chapter 2, verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. How do we know God? Because God freely gave his spirit to us. Friends, without the Spirit of God to reveal these things to us, where would we be? What would we be? We'd be nothing. We would be lost. 
we would continue to be fools, sinners, unrepentant, hardened, enveloped in darkness, blind, stubborn, enslaved, ignorant, yet arrogant. I'd like to come back to Einstein briefly. He was a man who saw so much, who understood so much. But the most important thing to know, he did not know. He studied creation and never knew the creator. And what did it mean for him? It meant a life of misery. Einstein did not know Jesus Christ. He had no savior, no hope, no purpose beyond the grave, no freedom from sin. Einstein impregnated the first girl he loved well before they were married. He was miserable like my child. <laughs> so that was a marriage that wasn't destined to last. Sixteen years later, they were divorced. Why? Because Einstein had fallen in love with his cousin, Elsa, and started having an affair with her. During this time, he also expressed affections for another lady who he had met before his first marriage. They exchanged a number of letters while his wife was expecting their second child. Then in 1923, he fell in love with yet another woman, this time his secretary. In fact, while he was married to Elsa, he had romantic relations with at least six different women. After Elsa died, he entered into another relationship with a married woman. Einstein was a man desperately looking for love, but in all the wrong places. Despite his great intellect, he was lost. And this is a parable of our world. Without God, what are we? We're nothing. Einstein might have gained the whole world, but he lost his soul. This is the plight of worldly wisdom. What would Jeremiah have to say to Einstein? Perhaps he would say this. Jeremiah 9, verse 23, thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boasts in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. So what can be said for the world and all of its intelligence? What happens when people reject the gospel as foolishness? G.K. Chesterton once said, people think that when they do not believe in God, they believe in nothing. But the fact is, they will believe in anything. So where do we find ourselves? We find ourselves in a world where it's considered reasonable to believe that explosions create universes, or that hydrogen is a gas which, if left hanging around for long enough, turns into people, or where killing babies is interpreted as healthcare. Well, how about this? Children are not allowed to get a tattoo or drink beer, but they can have parts of their bodies chopped off in gender-affirming surgery. And if they live in Victoria, they don't even need parental consent. Cow farts are changing the climate. Last month in Queensland, the Minister for Health and Mental Health, Shannon Fentiman, publicly stated this, I define woman as someone who identifies as a woman, and the Queensland government defines woman as someone who identifies as woman, end quote. 
In other words, here's a mental health minister advocating the idea that the way to treat delusional patients is to do what? To affirm the delusion. This is the world's wisdom. And this is where we would all be if it weren't for the fact that God, being rich in mercy, loved us. He did the unthinkable. He chose us. He revealed himself to us. He saved us. He did something for us that he never did for Einstein or for Darwin or for Muhammad. He freely gave us his spirit. What does that mean? Have a look with me at verse 10 and 11. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So let's think about this. No one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Which means if God gives us His Spirit... What do we have access to? We have access to the depths of God himself. In fact, you could even say that we have the mind of God, which is such a staggering claim that I would never venture in my wildest dreams to make it if it weren't for the fact that that's exactly what we're told in verse 16. We have the mind of Christ. What does it mean to have the mind of Christ? It means everything. It means we can actually think God's thoughts after him. To which we might ask, how does this work? Are we to retreat into the hills and sit on a rock and wait until thoughts miraculously appear in our heads? Are we to affirm the lotus position and go hum for prolonged periods of time and wait for voices to speak in our heads? And I'm sure they would if you did for long enough. Not the right voices, but you'll hear things. Or perhaps we should take psychedelic drugs so we can hallucinate our way up to God. Of course, people have tried all these approaches. But they have done so without the Spirit of God or His guidance. None of these things ever lead to real enlightenment. What does the good book say? Have a look at verses 12 and 13. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So how do we think God's thoughts after him? What does the Spirit help us to understand? Well, he helps us to understand, verse 12, the things freely given to us by God. And what are those things that have been freely given to us? These things are things which are imparted, verse 13, by words and through spiritual interpretation. What is he referring to? The scriptures, the Bible. Surely it makes sense that the Spirit of God who inspired the Word of God would be given to us to help us understand the same Word. And if you're watching carefully, we are in fact doing this right now. We are reading and interpreting the Word of God by the Spirit of God. And this is how Christ instructs each one of us, which is incredible. It means that of all the books that have ever been written, there's only one book which cannot be understood without the Spirit of God. 
You could assemble all the brightest minds from every walk of life, every discipline. But if none of them had the mind of Christ, they would not be able to understand the Bible or explain it to you. In other words, to the world, the Bible is a closed book. You cannot read the Bible as a natural person. Here's why. Verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The Bible is no ordinary book, which is why it cannot be understood in an ordinary way. Without the Spirit of God, these things are folly. That's why before we read this book, what do we do? We pray. We ask for grace to see and to understand. We pray like David does in Psalm 119, open my eyes, Lord, that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Because without the mind of Christ, we will not be able to interpret the Bible. Why has God done it that way? So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Do you understand anything true from the Bible? It is only because it's been given to you from above. Not because you're intelligent or wise or knowledgeable, but because God is gracious. Does this mean that we don't need to take any effort to read the Bible? Of course not. What does David do after he prays to be able to understand the scriptures? He says this, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. How does David treat the word of God? He meditates on it day and night. If you like, it's as if by giving us his spirit, God gave us a master key to unlock a multitude of doors. Doors that open up to us an infinite labyrinth of exquisite chambers filled with treasure, each filled with more doors, leading to more chambers with more doors and more chambers. What will you do with this master key? Will you place it on a key ring with all your other keys and lock it in a drawer? What benefit is there to have a key like this that we hardly use? We are privileged to have the Spirit of God to understand the Word of God. So what will we do with the Bible? We will read it like no other book. We will study it and feast our eyes on it. We will be like the dying man who, after losing all hope, after wandering across a barren wasteland, stumbles upon an oasis. What will he do with a pool of water that he finds under the shade of those trees? He will shove his face into those waters and drink like he has never drunk before. You will not be able to entice him easily to leave that oasis. Friends, what will we do with the Spirit of God given to us? What will all those Taylor Swift fans do with their concert tickets? Will they be sitting at home when the concert happens? Of course not. What will we do with the Spirit of God given to us? We're fools if we don't give ourselves to understand the word for which the Spirit has been given to us, to hear him speak to us. This is where the real concert is happening. And Paul writes to Timothy in his second epistle, what does he encourage him to do with the word of God? Does he tell him to read through his letter once and then get on with his life? He doesn't say that. He says in 2 Timothy 2 verse 7, think over what I say. Timothy, think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. We're called to make the effort of thinking. We're called to read carefully. We're called to meditate and ponder. But after all is said and done, we know that only the Lord gives us the understanding. It's his mind 
in us that will open up to us the truths that are closed shut to the world. So we would be wrong to come to the conclusion that because the gospel can only be understood by spiritual people who have the Spirit of God, that preaching such a gospel is futile. We know this is the wrong conclusion to come to because what's Paul doing? He's already told us in verse 13 he was committed to preaching the Word of God. And earlier in verse 2, he could not stress more forcefully the fact that when he was in Corinth, he decided to know nothing among them except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So God has decided that the gospel will change lives. He's decided to make the news about Jesus Christ crucified the means by which people receive his spirit. And this is how each one of us was saved. If we heard the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation, and believed, it was by the power of the spirit. He revealed these things to us so that they would be wisdom to us instead of folly. And this is incredibly liberating. It's encouraging. It means that anyone can come to faith in Christ. Christianity is not for the Einsteins of this world. It's for the regular blokes, the regular girls. It's for the young, the old, the poor, the rich, the stupid, the clever, the talented, the ugly, the beautiful. The gospel's for everyone. And God will be glorified because when we see these things and understand these things, we know it's all because of him. God is not impressed by fame or fortune. God will be glorified before man. No man will be able to boast in anything except the cross of Jesus Christ. Because here's the staggering reality before us this morning. If you're a Christian, you have a greater mind than Einstein. How? Because we have the mind of Christ. And that is an incredible gift. Let's pray. Father, who are we to know these things and believe these things? Thank you so much for your grace. May we be people who live and walk by your spirit, who are devoted to your word, who are besotted with your son, Jesus Christ. For your glory now and forevermore. Amen.